Marriage on a Tightrope. I'm Alan. And I'm Katie, and we are still married. And Alan just reminded me that I cannot make any more mistakes because otherwise he does not want to redo this intro. We've had to redo the intro a few times. I want A, not to redo it anymore, and B, not to edit anything. So no ums. You can't say a single um. You just twice. Well, those were example ums. Oh, three. And a third, yes. So, Katie, I wasn't even on this interview, so what are we about to hear? I sat down with Chris Rich, and we talked about mixed faith marriage. We talked about the wins that she's had, and she talks a lot about what we can do to help ourselves and look at ourselves through a different lens. And I think it'll be super powerful and helpful in reframing the way we think about mixed faith marriage. I like when we do these uh, less than normal. It's not a couple versus couple interview. It's one-on-one. And in this case, it is one-on-one believing spouses. So two believing spouses talking about their experiences in a mixed faith marriage. Right. But I think that a lot of what she says can be adapted to both sides. And especially she's learned a lot of really cool things. So I think you'll love this interview. And today it's her birthday. It's releasing on her birthday. So happy birthday, Chris. Just what you wanted. Happy. No, I'm not going to do it. No, you're not going to do it. Happy birthday, Chris. And we want to go through a couple uh, announcements, right? Yeah. Okay. You know... I would make this one announcement because this is a really fun one. Go on to Facebook in the announcements feed right now, the top announcement on the 5th slash 6th of January 2021 are links to all four of the Marco Polo groups. We just put that up today. I don't even know if you knew I did that. I put that up today. I realized, oh, there's been a few threads about a Marco Polo group for, um, Uh, post-Mormon women and for believing women and for believing husbands. I created one for post-Mormon husbands. I just created a little post and made all four. Here's the links to all forums. What if I'm like a Jehovah Witness wife? Oh, come on. They're not in our Facebook group. They might be. They might be. Okay, but it's believing versus non-believing. It doesn't have to be Mormon, okay? <laughs> believing versus non-believing. Okay, there we go. Believing versus non-believing. The other we thing We love that, our JW friends. Yes, we do. We love all of you who are not LDS. There's a lot of non-LDS yes. listeners. So Hi Ann Buckle in Nashville. Yes, hi Ann. And everyone else out there. Of course. Uh, the other announcement we want to make is that we are coming close to our time that we're going to start January 19th, our n- another workshop on a tightrope with Natasha Helfer. You, we partner with Natasha Helfer. It is hard to believe that the she said, one and only, it is hard to believe that she said yes to us. I'll tell you, you guys, if you are even remotely considering or remotely think that you could use the professional help of Natasha Helfer. This is absolutely a wonderful way to get it done because over the course of six weeks, you get 18 hours live with Natasha and then you throw in 18 hours live of Katie and Alan. (laughs) It kind of cancels itself out to be honest, but then you have 18 hours of, of live session over the, over six weeks with other couples who are in the same experience as you are. We have a, a number of, a few spots left. I would have to actually count. We have a number of people that are enrolled. We have a couple of spots left. And we have a very generous donor who is uh, offering two half scholarships for anyone who is in financial need and would like to take the class. So take advantage of that and email us if that's something that you're interested in. What's, our, what's our email address? 
It is marriage on a tightrope at gmail.com. You can contact us via Facebook, via Instagram. Really, there's no wrong way to contact us unless you show up on our doorstep. And if you do, please bring us some Diet Dr. Pepper. Yes. That would so, be great. So that's the requirement. That would be great. Uh, also, we wanted to give a shout out to those mentors. We have a mentor program through our Facebook, and we just want to say thank you so much. If you would like to be a mentor, um, you can go and click on that. Is it a button? Yeah, there's like a mentorship section within the Facebook group. Both right. to be, sign up to be a mentor, and ba- basically that's like it's like a big brother program. <laughs> it's it's, it's exactly hey, right. I've been through this before. I, I kind of know how you feel. Do you have any questions? Let's chat about it. So if you are in need of advice or have advice to give, you can sign up. Maybe even both. Yeah. So thanks to all of you, and uh, we just appreciate all the work you do. I appreciate the work they do more. I said we. Well, it's a competition at this point. I will win. Usually you do. (laughs) We hope you enjoy this episode, everyone. And now we would love to welcome to the podcast, Chris Rich. Chris, thank you so much for being here today. You're so welcome. I'm so excited to have this opportunity. Oh, it's just the ladies today. So I'm not sure how many men are going to want to listen to this. I hope that they tune in to do so because I think Chris has some super valuable things to tell us and teach us and to help us with. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us maybe where you're from, where you currently live, how many kids you have? Yeah, sure. Um, So I grew up in Salt Lake City. And I was an elementary ed teacher for a couple of years when we first got married. My husband, Matt, he also grew up in Salt Lake and uh, we have three beautiful kids. We love to run together. Uh, I love to eat probably more than I love to run. We live in Western Massachusetts now. We've been here for about 10 years and we've also lived in Indiana. We've kind of bounced around the country. and. Yeah, we love it here. It's a good spot to be. He works for Lego, the toy company. So what does he do at Lego? Does he create sets? He is on the sales team there. He works works with a team of other people on the Walmart account. Okay. So do you get free Legos? That's that's what I want to ask. (laughs) Sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes <laughs> so that he comes home. He loves Legos. So we have, we have lots of Legos at our house. <laughs> oh, I love Legos as well. In fact, my husband and I were, um, we went to the Lego store and they've got, they've got the coolest things now. And of course, like I want every set because I'm super into it. It's like the Disneyland castle. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh one. yeah. It's awesome. oh, that's, that is the one I want. And you know, I'm looking at it and the salesperson is so good. She said, you know, those are going to be, those are going out of stock starting in March and they're not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, that just sold me right there. Not so much my husband who was standing next to me, but I'm like, honey, we could get the Lego set. No, not so much. That's awesome. Well, I mean, if you work for Lego, it must be a passion. So that's really neat. And I love that you run and eat and you're right. Usually you, you would need to run after you eat a lot of really good food. (laughs) Uh, So tell me about your upbringing here in Utah. Cause I think 
I, I'm actually interested. I think that the church might look different a little bit more in the East than it does in the West. And I want to, I'll get to that, but tell me about, did you grow up in the church? Yeah. So my family was very active in the church and several generations of members. And it was just something that we did as a family. And, you know, growing up, all my friends were just like me. It was, you know, like the schools that I went to, there were lots of members and something that we did together as, as a family. I, I don't know that I had a super strong testimony growing up. It was more kind of a social thing that I just, I went and because that's what we did. And my friends were there and it was fun. And then as I grew up, I, I ended up serving a mission. And I think I really, that's kind of what solidified my testimony because I realized like, okay, so this is what my parents believe. And now I'm halfway across the world. I was in Taiwan and I had to find out, is this really what I believe? And I think that's probably what my mission really solidified my testimony and just the experiences that I had there. Sure. And you, I mean, you grew up during a time back where, I mean, not to age us because you and I are older than the younger generation now, but when you're 21 and you're going on a mission, there are two, one of two things that, that people say, one, either you couldn't get married before and that's why you're going or, um, or two, that you had really nothing else going on. And I never felt that way. I always felt that, like, a, for me, a mission was on my checklist. Was it on your checklist? Or was no. that something? No. So how did you arrive at that decision? I, you know, I, kind of funny. I, In hindsight, I feel like it was almost like my kids were up there saying, Mom, you got to go figure this out. And it was just kind of a sudden a sudden decision that I hadn't been planning because I thought the same thing, you know, like, and um, I actually was dating someone at the time and realized like, I'm going to go do this. I want to go do this for me. And, and I'm so glad that I did. Cause I, I feel like I really gained valuable experiences there learning to communicate and being with people that might see things differently than you do. And mm-hmm. it, yeah, it was just a, I'm so thankful that I had that experience. Yeah. So you get home from your mission and then what happens? Um, so it did not work out with the person that I had been dating. And then, um, most of my friends were already married at the ripe old age of 22, 23. <laughs> and I had a mutual friend that, um, when he needed a date, he would ask me. And when I needed a date, you know, would take each other to parties and stuff. And, and he had this cute friend named Matt Rich and, that's so that's how Matt and I met each other. Well, we actually went to the same high school. I was a year older and you know how you're so much cooler back then. So (laughs) much cooler. So cool. (laughs) So that Matt and I met each other through this friend and just started having a good time hanging out together. We like to ski together and he made me laugh and we just, we, that was the beginning of, of a beautiful relationship. So how long um, did you date before you decided to get married? And then where did you get married? February of 1998 is when we decided we wanted to get married. And we got married in June of 98 in the Salt Lake Temple. So it was a very, very fast, you know, I think our story is similar to a lot of other people. It was a very quick engagement. 
take us take us to like early marriage years. Did you notice that thing you guys did things differently right off the bat? Were you pretty much on the same page? And like I always think it's funny because even if you're the same religion, every Mormon household does things differently, right? So mm-hmm. Alan could watch sports on Sunday. I couldn't, but I could watch movies on Sunday. He couldn't. So did you, in those first like few years, um, what was your styles with in within the church itself? Well, I think it's interesting because I think you assume that, oh, you're, you grew up in the church and I did as well. So I think I had the assumption that we were going to do everything the same. So our first several years, it was there were definitely, we did things differently. Like I was a hundred percent all in that. I loved, you know, like when we went on vacation, I would go find a chapel and would, I'd want to go to sacrament meeting. And he was like, really? And, and it was just, you know, like little things like that, where I was like, Oh, this is, yeah, we do do things differently. But I, yeah, there were just not big things, but there was, I, I loved teaching lessons and going ministering and, and being in my callings and he wasn't, I mean, he did it, but it wasn't, I definitely had, I think I got a lot more joy out of it than, than he did. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. There were, there were definitely things that we didn't see eye to eye on, but nothing that was a big deal. We just kind of made it work for us. Yeah. So take us to the point um, where he starts to transition out. And at this point of the interview, I'll tell all of you, spoiler alert, (laughs) it was Matt who transitioned out. And um, we're going to focus on Chris's story, but I do want to get to that because um, obviously it's a big part of um, the change that happens in your home. So why don't you go ahead and, and tell us about that? We had been married for about eight years. He, I don't, I don't even remember, but like, before that, maybe a year before that, I noticed like he didn't go to elders quorum or he would um, come home for part of church, but he, he was there. And, um, and just one day, what kind of seemed like out of the blue for me, he just said, I'm done with church. And for him, it was kind of, you know, like it was a gradual, he had kind of been pulling away gradually and I didn't realize at the time, and it was just shocking and devastating for me to just be like, where did that come from? But I mean, looking back, it's like, yeah, I can kind of see that he wasn't, he wasn't as excited about it as I was, but I had no idea the extent of um, where it would take him. I did, you know, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal at the time. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is, and he wasn't, he wasn't, um, offended. It, he hadn't gotten into like anti Mormon literature or anything. He just realized like, this isn't what I want to do. So it wasn't, and it, it, you know what? I think it's easy to look and think like, are they leaving because they did something wrong or they want to go do something wrong? I think at the time I thought that I just, I didn't, but for him, it really was, it just wasn't his thing. And that was really devastating for me to, I didn't see that at the time. I was just like, I think the church is you're, um, you're on the same, when you're both in the church, you're on the same page and it's like a safety net. 
for you. And all of a sudden I felt like that safety net had just been ripped out from underneath us. And, um, and it was scary because it's like, okay, well, if you're going to leave the church, what is going to happen next? And he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't doing anything, but I just had so many fears about, um, you know, like, well, what is this going to look like? Are you going to make different choices than you normally make? Or what will this look like for our family in the future? Or if you can do that, then what else could happen? So it was just devastating to me. And okay. So I, I like what you said about like having the safety net, because I think in the church, the safety net always feels there, right? When you're on the same page, you're like, well, you know, we are going to make it to the celestial kingdom because we were married in the temple or, you know, well, the safety net is there. Um, and if I take my kids to church, they're going to learn the gospel principles and, and things are going to be good for our future. And so I like what you said, you know, taking the safety net away as makes you ask all these, you know, have all these questions in your mind. At the time, were you brave enough to ask him those questions? Were you brave enough to say, are you, are you, you know, all the things that you think like, okay, are you looking at pornography? Now, these are the things that, that was asked of my husband. So I'm, I'm just going to, I'll put those out there. Are you looking at pornography? Are you gay? <laughs> That's the question you got. Um, are um, are you looking at anti-Mormon material? Are you, you know, you, you get these sort of gambit because for, for a lot of people who are in the church, I think that they, they think like, well, sin would be the only reason why they would have to, to leave something that they loved. So Tommy, I mean, how, how did those conversations go in the beginning for you? They didn't. I was so scared and so worried that I didn't ask. And I, you know, one of the things I was, um, I was, like I mentioned earlier, I was so, I felt like I lost my trust in him. And, um, and I was so worried about what was going to happen next. And, you know, it's fascinating. Worry is, it's always about a future event. It's about something that hasn't happened yet. And it feels terrible. Worry is a negative emotion. And so I spent all this time worrying about what was going to happen in the future. And, and most of those things didn't happen. So I worried for no reason. And some of the things that I was worried about, they, you know, like some of those things have happened, but then I got to feel that yuckiness twice. Yeah. Worry's not a fun, it's not very help. You know, I do want to know like what, what did those initial conversations look like for you guys? Or did you just completely avoid it? He wasn't really interested in talking about it. And we we avoided it a lot. And I think one of the big reasons why we avoided it, I was looking at my life and being like, okay, you are doing all the things. And, and I couldn't possibly understand why he wasn't doing those things. Mm -hmm. And I totally felt like a huge victim and I turned him into a villain. So I turned this man that is the love of my life. All of a sudden, just because he tells me he doesn't want to go to church I don't trust him anymore. And I painted him as this villain. This isn't really rocket science, but the that's not a really great dynamic in marriage <laughs> is to think you're married to the villain. So I didn't ask. And I was so focused on my pain and how 
um, I just, I constantly had the thought, this isn't what I signed up for. It's not supposed to be like this. And so instead of investigating, like, and also I missed this huge opportunity. He was in pain too. When he was the villain, I didn't care about his pain. I was totally focused on my pain. And so I didn't ask, I didn't ask like, okay, what is this like for you? And how can we make this work? I was just like, I'm doing all the things and you're not. And I was being so judgmental of him, judging him for how I thought he should live his life in a religion that wasn't for him. And which made me not live my religion because here I am just completely judging him. And that's not what I want to be. So that felt horrible that I was judging him and just when you think that the person that you live with is a villain, I didn't, and and I couldn't understand why I was so stuck. Here I am. I'm doing everything right. And he's over here doing everything wrong in my eyes. And he wasn't, he wasn't doing, he was wonderful. This story that I had been telling myself, you know, that this isn't what I signed up for. It caused a lot of problems for me. And So looking back, I wish I could have stopped and said, you know, like, how is this for you? And, and realize like we could both be in pain together and comfort each other. And, you know, I just, I think of like, we mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort. I was so focused on woe is me and um, how hard my life was that I just was totally blind to that. And that is a, a huge regret that I have. I wish I would have had. I wish I could have seen outside of my pain and tried to understand his perspective better. I think that, um, uh, wow, on both sides, everyone can relate to this, right? Because um, in in this situation, whether you are the um, believer or you are the one transitioning, it is easy for you to focus on you. What am I feeling? You know, on, on the other side... I'm going through this. Do you think I wanted these feelings? Do you think I wanted to leave a church? Do you think I wanted to um, have my whole life upended and my marriage damaged by how I feel? That's that's not what I want either. And I think that on both sides, we, you know, you can both relate. And I think that the church, you know, teaches us if we're doing all the checklist things, we're, we're going to have a great life. It's going to be, well, I mean, won't be wrought with, it'll have problems, right? Well, I love what you said that because you were so worried about you, you couldn't focus on what on living your actual religion was right. Forgiveness, love and compassion, and, and, Charity. you know, those, yeah, those, those moments are so tender. So I can understand why, why you would feel that way. How, tell me, how long did it take you to get to a place where you could even discuss it without, without things blowing up? Or, you know, did it take a couple of years? How, how did you start having those conversations? Because I think people are just worried about like, how do I even start to address this? It's interesting looking back at this, our journey it definitely wasn't a linear journey. We'd make some progress and then something would happen. But I don't think it even, and I'm totally embarrassed to admit this. I don't think it even occurred to me. So this has been 14 years now. I bet we were 10 years in before I was like, oh my word, were you in pain too? Like it took a long time. Yeah, it's just, I think in in hindsight, I wish I could have gone back 
and I'm still realizing I've had a lot of life coaching and realizing like, oh, I think just my story that I was hanging on to, I had this lens of how my life was so hard and I found so much evidence, you know, like I could make a list of all these bad things that happened and, um, and it wasn't until I could kind of loosen up that story and realize like, hold on, he is so not a villain. And I'm not a victim and I don't want to be a victim. Like, this is my story. This is my life. This is how I get to choose what kind of character I am in this. And, and wouldn't it be more fun that we could both be heroes together, that we could both be rock stars and he could have, he can live his life the way he wants to. And I can live my life how I want to with my faith. And it just, it feels so much better, but it wasn't. I mean, it's taken me years of doing a lot of stupid things and, you know, and not, there are so many times where we didn't have conversations, but now I think we're able to talk to, we're able to talk about things more now, but it definitely took a lot of time. And just, I mean, I had to get to the point where I was healing from my pain. I think that took me so much longer than needed to just because of this story I told myself. So let's go to that. The story you told yourself. Um, what is, what, what was that? I mean, I think you mentioned that, you know, you, you were doing all the right things and he was the villain and you were the hero. Um, how do you work through um, the story that you tell yourself and what are some tools or things people can do if this is where they're stuck right now? So, okay. So just to make, so I did not see myself as a hero at the time. I felt like a complete victim. Like Mm -hmm. he, so the story I was telling myself is, I think the main thing is this isn't what I signed up for. Like, this is so hard. Matt Rich is ruining my life. (laughs) So that was, so I think one, an easy way to look at it is look at, and this isn't just in a mixed faith marriage. It could be your job. It could be your life with your kids, whatever look at if you were writing a newspaper article about your life, what would the title be? Just like a quick title. So that is what I would start with that. What are you telling yourself? One story was, this isn't what I signed up for. And then as I started to look at it differently and be like, no, I don't want to be a victim. I want to be a hero. Okay. So what is a hero going to do? Well, a hero is going to communicate and stand up and, and find out what's going on. You know, like I started talking to him and finding out what, and he didn't want to talk. So it wasn't like I wasn't trying, but he wasn't very open. But I think just recognizing we all have a, some sort of a story. And I think the big thing is, is that story serving you well? Is it helping you to progress in your marriage or not? For me, it was like I was on this hamster wheel of woe with me. And I was just running and running and running on that. And it wasn't it wasn't serving me at all. But when I could step back and say like, okay, this isn't what I want to believe anymore. So I would find out, you know, like really ask yourself, what is the story you're telling? And what is the role? And if that story is helping you and helping you to find peace and happiness, then go with it. But if it's not, look at that. And I mean, now I can look back and say, like, instead of a victim and a villain, we were both two people that were hurting. And we figured out over time how to help each other and became 
we're both heroes for each other and and now we can support each other more in that so i look at that story you're telling and and do you really want to be a victim and do you really want to be married to a villain yeah <laughs> and in my case i'm not at all he's mm-hmm. such a good guy such a good guy so let me ask you for you what did progression look like because i think progression um is defined so differently in each marriage so what did that look like for you and how were you able to get there okay so this was probably about 10 years ago there was a talk by president Uchtdorf at a women's conference and he talked about charlie and the chocolate factory i love i love stories and i love chocolate so two of my very favorite things and Roald Dahl's one of my very favorite authors. So in this, in his talk, he's talking about how Willy Wonka has this, um, I guess, a contest. And he hides five golden tickets within five candy bars all throughout the world. And the world literally goes nuts looking for this candy. You know, people go and they buy a candy bar. And it used to be that they were so excited about having a chocolate bar but then they'd open it up and there's no golden ticket in it. So now everyone's like, bummer, it's just chocolate. I don't have a golden ticket. And people went crazy. Like my favorite character, Veruca Salt, her dad has a big factory with um, an assembly line and he has all of his workers with cases and cases of chocolate and they're going through and they're no golden ticket, no golden ticket. And they literally just throw the chocolate aside. So I'm listening to this talk that president Ugdorf is giving. And um, I just had this big, it was like heavenly father smacked me over the head with a two by four. And so I'm like listening to this talk and just realizing, Oh my word, this is totally happening in my life. That um, so president Ugdorf is talking about how we all have some sort of a golden ticket, something that we want. And for me, my golden ticket was I wanted my husband to come back to church. I wanted his heart to be softened. And this is where it felt like Heavenly Father just smacked me and said, Chris Rich, I get it. I have heard your prayers. I understand you want Matt to come back. And I need you to start focusing on the chocolate that you have in your life. You literally have a fantastic life. And it's like you are bathing in a chocolate fountain. (laughs) And you have no clue. I was just so focused on him and what he should be doing and how it was hurting me that I wasn't paying attention that I had a great husband that was taking care of me and our kids. And we had three beautiful, healthy kids. We had a house and just literally swimming in chocolate. So I think that was a, that was kind of another thing for me. It was almost like a, I, I call it the chocolate switch when I turned on that chocolate switch and, and not that, and President Uchtdorf talks about, you don't have to give up on your golden ticket. There's nothing wrong with having desires and expectations and hopes and dreams, but don't wait to be happy until that happens because it might not happen and it might not happen for a long time. And I think that literally was like a life-changing switch, my chocolate switch. And it wasn't, it didn't happen. It wasn't just like, bam, okay, thank you. I'm glad that every, you know, I have so much to be grateful for. 
I had practiced these thoughts of how my life was so hard. And I had told that story over and over again for years. So it took time to refocus my attention to the good in my life and the, you know, the blessings that I, that I did have. And it wasn't, and I think that was kind of, you know, it was kind of like I, um, if I, if you have a big ship that you're trying to direct, so the, the switch went off and I said, okay, my life is actually not so bad. And I think that, um, and that helped me to start turning my boat back in the direction of where I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't, I mean, it took years of redirecting my brain over and over again and focusing on the good in my life. And I think that was a big thing to help me. I stopped seeing him as a villain. I realized like, oh my word, this man is awesome and he loves me and is helping me. And no, the church is not part of his life, but he's a wonderful father and he's teaching my our kids beautiful things and I'm teaching them beautiful things the way I want to do it and we're both in this together it was just I don't know I so for me gratitude is absolutely magical just amazing and I love like um just last month when President Nelson had us focus on social media about the things we were grateful for and I actually had, a, I love this quote. He shared, um, counting our blessings is far better than recounting our problems. No matter our situation, showing gratitude for our privileges is a unique, fast acting and long lasting prescription. And I just, that for me, that was huge to just be like, I got a great life and I need to, when I focus on what I have instead of what I don't have or what I want, then I can have what I want right now. (laughs) And I think that was a huge, um, just a huge turning point for me. I love the just mental visual of the chocolate factory because you're right. Things are, you know, I think when we focus on that one thing, it's almost like we have tunnel vision and anything that's good around us, we can't see. Um, When you decided to make the switch, you can call it your aha moment, your chocolate vision moment, your come to Jesus moment, your whatever, (laughs) right? A lot of people use um, different phrases for it. What did you see? Like, what was the difference it made in yourself and in your marriage? Like, what could you tangibly see happening um, that was a positive that was positive for you? Well, I think it was just such a huge reminder that, like, wake up! You don't have a bad life. Like, there would have been a million people that would have been happy to switch me. I think another thing, and at the time, I don't know that I saw this so much as a positive, but I had been putting all of the blame on him for so long. But I realized like, oh, like, yes, I am doing all the things, you know, my checklist of things. But I have a role to play in this, too. And it's not just it's it. it, I was able to take some of the ownership and like, okay, this is something I can do. I can't change him. I can't change our circumstance but I can change my attitude and and that was empowering for me I didn't have to wait for him to come back because he might not I don't I have no idea but I can 
I can choose what I want to think about and focus on now. It's not, I think that's another big thing is it's not, it's my job to make me happy Mm. and it's his job to make him happy. And when I started realizing like, okay, I can focus on the things that are so important to me and, and he can do his thing. And then we have two happy people that can come together and with all of our differences and then just love each other. That was a big help for me to realize with a lot of life coaching. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that life coaches, therapists, I mean, they're out there for a reason. If we can take the tools that we are learning in those sessions, um, they definitely benefit us for their for the future and, and the way we reframe things in our mind and the way we think about uh, where we are. I, I want to um, talk a little bit about something you mentioned earlier, and maybe this pertains to your kids and maybe it doesn't. But I think earlier you said that you were th- worried about things that maybe did or did not happen. And some of those things did come to fruition. Okay. Um, And I don't know what that pertains to, but how do you, I know that when we worry, (laughs) we're like doing ourselves a disservice, right? Because Mm -hmm. we're needlessly um, causing harm (laughs) to our, to our um, anxiety in our mind. Um, But when they do happen, how do we face them head on? How do we deal with those 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 worries that do end up coming to fruition? And it may be, you know, a kid not wanting to go to church. It may be, uh, I mean, you can name a number of things. My husband now wants to drink coffee or alcohol. How do we talk our through ourselves through some of those hard things that we do worry about? Oh, that's a tricky one, and I definitely don't have all the answers. I think for me, just realizing like. Okay, so my kids, none of them are interested in the church. And that was a huge, I've worried about that for so many years. And now to realize that, okay, they are on their path and I am on my path and that we can still proceed together. I think it's so important to realize that people are going to, people have to figure things out for themselves and me worrying about whether they're doing it the way I think they should or not just causes me more pain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like for me, I've just had to realize like they're having the exact experience that they need. So like Matt with his faith transition, is it possible that that is exactly the path that he needed to become who he wants to be. And with my kids, I, you know, like I thought it should be this way, but it's not going that way. And just, if I keep focusing on, no, that's not how it should be. It just hurts me. And they're still going to do what they want to do anyway. And, and, and it disconnects us. I want to do things that connect me to my husband and my kids and, you know, like judging them and thinking they should do what a certain way it's just you kind of just gotta step back and also like in my this is my situation obviously everyone is in a different situation it may be that there are certain things that are going on where you say this doesn't work for me and and I think that was a big thing for me too is just realizing I have a choice and there were a lot of times where you know like early on we did talk about splitting up and I just thought 
I can't do this. And realizing like that is an option. And for me, I'm so thankful I didn't, that I didn't um, take that option because we've, we've had lots of ups and downs. Life has been (laughs) a total roller coaster, but right. I'm just, I'm thankful for where we're at today. And um, I think that's another thing is every day is this totally wasn't what you asked. (laughs) Every day is a, it's a choice that I choose to love him. I choose to, you know, someone was saying, if you could go back, would you still choose your person? And I've had days where my answer was no, I wouldn't. And I've had a lot where I'd say yes. But I think the big thing is, do I choose him today? And what that looks like and just realizing we all have our, we're all going to do things a little bit differently and that is okay. And I know I appreciate that you saying that because I think that we definitely have a set idea in our mind on how, how others should behave our, our spouse and our children. You know, it's, I think that one of the more painful points of, of being in this in this area is that my family no longer looks like anyone else's family at church. And, you know, I, I can wallow in that for a while. I can think like poor me, but then it occurred to me, wow, look at how many other people that are here that also don't have families that look like mine, right. That look like the normal family. And it actually, I think some of that pain and, and, you know, the poor me, the victim attitude, I, I decided that it was better to show compassion for a lot of those people because I knew how they felt. Right. So it yeah. goes back to what you said. Um, the gratitude is magical. It it definitely changes the way that you think and you feel um, about about your situation um, because all of a sudden you recognize other people are in the same situation as you, where um, if you stay in that space of the victim, um, you, you, you don't look outside of yourself. So I really appreciate you saying that. And, you know, with children, especially, you know, I have kids who we went to church today because Sunday is my favorite. It is my favorite sacrament meeting before church, before Christmas, because it's usually very musical. It's usually all about Christ. It's very uplifting. And it was, but neither of my boys wanted to pass the sacrament. And, you know, we decided a long time ago that we wouldn't force them to do anything they didn't want to do. But it is a little bit painful, right? Thinking like, you know, well, now they have to have asked two elders, you know, two other guys to come and pass the sacrament mm-hmm. when my two boys are sitting on the bench and they could easily go up and do it. And, and that's, I think that that's, that that's hard. in the past, it's been really hard for me, but today I thought to myself, as I looked at my family, I'm so grateful that they came. They all got up. We had 9 a.m. church. Mm-hmm. They put on their church clothes. They didn't complain. They knew that I really wanted to be to this, this sacrament meeting. Cause it was my favorite. And so I'm just going to be grateful that they're they're here and they're being quiet and they're listening to the music, right? So I think um, uh, I I just love you know children especially they are going to have a choice, right? They are going to be able to decide in the future, and and I mean we can spend the time worrying about how our two year old is going to act when he's twelve, but um, for now we can just love them and for who they are. I abs- I absolutely love that. I think with that too, 
it's easy for us to want to love a different version. It would be so much easier to love my husband or my child or whoever if they just did it according to how I think they should do it. And they don't. And that's just painful to for for me because it's like, oh, well, that's never going to happen. And it's also, I think it's painful for them. So I think that's a big thing that um, that has helped me a lot is, I just want to love Matt for exactly who he is and not for what I think he should be. And when I let go of that and just like focused on the good in him and that he was, we were co-rock stars in our story. And that's like when, you know, we started being able to be vulnerable with each other and, I think that was such a beautiful thing for me to realize, like get rid of my expectations that I had, but there's a, um, a beautiful tool where called the manual. We all have a, you know, like when you buy a refrigerator, it comes with a manual of all the things it should do. And we all have a manual for our spouses or our kids or our friends, like a good husband should do all these things. And then if they don't, we think, what's wrong with them? And that was a fascinating thing for me to be like, I totally have a manual. And I thought that a good husband would do all these things. And mine doesn't do that things, doesn't do those things, but it doesn't mean he's not a good husband. It's just, I had expectations and just to be like, you know what? I just want to love him for how he is. Cause he's, awesome. And, and that brought me so much peace too, to just be like, quit trying to love a different version of him, mm-hmm. love him for who he is. And that's, that brought so much healing and peace into our marriage when I was able to do that. That's how God loves us. Yeah. Who we, who we are now, right. exactly as we are. Can you give us some, some examples of things that your husband does to support you and where you're at and vice versa, what you do to support him? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's tricky because you're like, ah, what do we talk about now? Because we don't talk about the church and like, we don't have anything in common. We totally thought that. And one, he loves to run. He has been he had a goal to run a marathon in every state, before, sorry, I can't speak English before he turned 50 and um, he made it to 47. He had done 47 marathons and, um, and then COVID hit and he had this idea. He, one day he came up to me and he said, Hey, I have this idea to run the calendar and he wanted to run the equivalent number of miles as to the date on the calendar. So this is back in July of this year. And so July 1st, one mile, July 15th, 15 miles. And by the July end, 31st, yeah. 31 miles. And consecutively. And I just was like, Matt Rich, you're nuts. <laughs> and, and then I thought, you know, what is the, this is something he wanted to do. And I just thought, what is the upside of me not supporting him? So I'm like, I think you're crazy and I'm all in whatever you need me to do. And so we, this past July, we, and I did a lot of it with him and I had no, so I had no intention of running the whole thing with him. And I knew like that wasn't going to happen for me, but he ended up running 496 miles in the month of July 
And it was that month was magical. I would, a lot, I did run a lot with them, not the whole thing, but I ran a lot. I walked with them. I rode my bike with them. And that month, it gets me teary thinking of how it was just amazing. We had so much time to just spend together and to, he knew I was there to support him. And the benefits of me supporting him were huge for me too. You know, I was, I ended up running like 270 miles. I didn't know I could do that. So just like through supporting him, I've, we just kind of push each other to do the things that we're interested in. And it's just, as I've supported him, he's supported me. I'm just about to, um, I've always wanted to become a life coach and I'm just about, I just, I'm, I'll be starting that next month. And he, so as I support him, he supports me in the things that are important to me. And some of those things, you know, like church still isn't his thing, but he, he knows it's important to me and he, supports me with what I need with that. And it's just, I think there's so many things that we do have in common that it's easy to be like, nope, this is a mixed faith marriage. We don't have anything in common. But to look for those opportunities, like what is your husband passionate about and how can you say yes? And I'm a huge believer in supporting each other. And it, and it just feels good. It felt so awesome to cross the finish line with them. Like we were in you know, I was totally in tears and it was just like, that's something that's, I mean, something sacred, but it was so special to do that for, to be there with him. And he does in the Massachusetts heat, you did it. (laughs) Which is so stinking hot. It is very hot. We've been there in July. It is very, very hot and humid. (laughs) Oh, nasty. Lots of nasty laundry, but it was just, I would do that again in a heart. Don't tell him that, but I just, that, that, being all in with each other and just being there for each other was, it feels so, that feels so much better than seeing him as a villain that's trying to ruin my life. Cause that just yeah. wasn't true. I, 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 another great point because when we focus um, our, our thoughts and our energy goes on to what we focus on. Right. So if that's what we yeah. focus on, that's what's going to yield from the relationship. But like you said, when you find other things that you have in common, there are other reasons why you got married. And I'm not, I'm not blind to the fact that many of the marriages um, were rocky to start or were a difficult, um, were very difficult. And you put something like a faith crisis on top of it and, and things, you know, don't work out, don't pan out. But I would say for the majority of, of our listeners, um, the reason why they're listening is because they're trying to make it work. And they're trying mm-hmm. to find um, a way to have those common, common things um, to do together. And I love that that's what you found you could do together and, and create joy and a connection, um, you know, and in being supportive to one another. And I, I just really think that that is a good thing for our listeners to hear, you know, if you are really struggling in this space where you're having a hard time um, finding something, just find one thing to connect on. It could be movies. It could be a TV series. It could be running. It could be hiking, whatever that is. And then see what blossoms from the support you give each other in those things that you can connect in. 
what advice do you have to those who are just starting out in this space and are maybe listening, you know, it's, they've been in, in this a couple of months. What advice would you give to, to a couple who are listening right now? Oh, so after 14 years of doing that, I, I've got lots of advice on that, but I think to look for the good, the eye sees what the brain looks for to focus, to focus on your story. What is the story and what do you want? Where do you want to go? Like, is this, do you want, if you want things to work out, you're probably going to have to make some changes and to just to do it together. I think that for me, that was so hard because I didn't, I didn't talk about things with them. And I think I have the hard conversations. And I think one of the biggest things for me, I wish I would have, it was totally, I had my pain and to acknowledge that, but I wish I would have realized that he was in pain. And I think this goes on either side that I wanted him to just validate me and say, like, I bet this is hard for you. We just both wanted to be heard. So I think to, to validate each other and to realize like, and going back to the story you tell yourself, do you really want to be married to a villain? And if you don't, then either change your story or you're going to have to change your situation. And I think the other thing is to, um, to focus. I wanted to change him. I wanted to control him and change him and make him do it my way. And I don't know if you have a way of doing this, but it's never worked for me. Mm -hmm. And going back to just loving, loving who they are, not who you want them to be. And then loving me and working on me. Like I think in this time I've been able to, I wanted him to be spiritual and he wasn't. And so I've focused that on me and my, I'm doing the things that are important to me. And I feel like I've been able to, I feel like my testimony has grown so much because I've, instead of trying to change him, I try to change me to be the best I can be. And I think that's another big question is starting out. Who do you want to be in this? How do you want to show up? And maybe your spouse isn't showing up how you want them to, and you can't control them, but just focusing on who do I want to be. That was more than one piece of advice. We will take all the advice we can get. I'm sure the listeners are not going to fault you on that. Is there anything else that we haven't already mentioned that you would like to mention or talk about in this interview? I think another concept, I and so many of these things I learned from Jody Moore. If you haven't listened to the Jody Moore podcast, she's a rock star. She doesn't know, but she's my best friend. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I learned from her is the, a, the concept of 50, 50. And also it talks about it in the scriptures that there's opposition in all things. And we have this like false notion that we should be happy all the time. And it flat out comes out in the scriptures and, you know, God says, no, it's not going to be like that. There's going to be opposition. And I think just realizing that um, you're going to have, our brains are designed to feel good part of the time. And, and we're also going to not feel good and that it's okay. It's okay. When we're going through these hard times, I think it's human nature to think this is a horrible, I feel worried or disappointment. And this is a big problem and you want to flee the situation, but just to realize like 
part of the time, it's not an exact science. It's not exactly 50-50, but how about something, something? Part of the time, you're going to feel happy and good emotions. And part of the time, you're not. And it's okay. It's okay. You know, like with those hard conversations that it's okay that part of the time you don't get along and you don't see eye to eye on everything. Sometimes you will and sometimes you won't. And it's it's not a problem that that you're not feeling happy all the time because no one else is either. (laughs) You know, this reminds me, and maybe you can relate to this. When I went on my mission, um, I actually had zero knowledge about what a missionary does. Zero. Um, I knew that um, before we left, we went and saw uh, the other side of heaven. That's what we saw in the theater literally uh, a couple weeks before I left. That is the envision I thought my mission would be is the other side of heaven where there are miraculous things happening all the time. It was going to be this such a spiritual experience. And boy, did I get smacked in the face right off. And, and I think, um, and this is most missionaries when they come home, they talk about lots of the good parts of, of the mission. What they don't talk about is the hours and hours and hours of tracking or contacting or knocking doors or, you know, where it yields nothing, right? You, you literally have the worst days. And, but really, um, they, it, I think that there is such a contrast because when you come home and everyone wants to tell about these miraculous things that happened or these great stories that happened, um, because there were so many hard days that the good ones stand out the most, right? And I think, um, you know, you can relate that in your own marriage as well. There are, there's a lot of hard days. What I got married and someone said, you're going to have hard years. And I thought, that's weird. Why would they tell me that? And it is 100% true. There are years that are just so hard. And, you know, um, Alan and I, we celebrated our anniversary on Friday. And one of the things we talked about is we talked about the highs. We talked about the lows. But um, we also talked about those pivotal moments. I'm going to cry this. But those, like, moments where you are like, okay, (laughs) we're going to either choose each other. And, and move past this or, or this is going to be the end. <laughs> and we had, we have a lot of those pivotal moments. And so thinking about it, you're, it's not always going to be a, your first honeymoon year of marriage. It's, it, you know, life happens and, and it goes on and um, you just focus and you're grateful for the, the times that, um, things are really good because um, you're going to have that opposition. So I really appreciate you saying that because it's, it's not always going to be good. That 50 50 has helped me so much to just be like, okay, this is just the hard part right now. And there's going to be a good, the good part. Um, The other thing that I would wrap up is I would love to give everyone a homework assignment. Oh, yes. Look at what is the story you are telling you? What is the story about your marriage and do you like it? And is it serving you well? And if it is awesome, keep going with it. But if it's not, if your story was like mine, where it was just causing you to disconnect from your spouse, you have the power to change it. And it may, and it wasn't my circumstance that changed because that didn't, but it was just, I got rid of the story. This isn't what I signed up for. And no, it wasn't, but actually there's been a lot of great things that have come from that. So 
And do you like the role that you're playing in your story? And if you don't, then put yourself in a different role. How are you, how are you rocking your story? How are you a hero? And um, I think one of the things that like for me, I look at we have come through so many challenges and we've come out on top every time. We have a hundred percent track record for getting through our hard days. Not that there's not plenty more coming our way, but with like that gives me confidence instead of like, oh, this isn't what I signed up for. It's like, we got this. And whatever happens, I'm confident we're gonna figure it out together. So look at your story. The other thing is look at your chocolate. Don't get rid of your golden ticket and maybe identify, do you have a golden ticket? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's with your kids. It's your marriage or whatever, but you don't have to get rid of your golden ticket, but is it stopping you from finding the happiness you want now? And if it is just kind of set it up, you don't have to stop looking for it, but enjoy the chocolate because I'm guessing you have a lot of chocolate in your life too. That is the perfect way to end. Chris, thank you so much for being on this episode of Marriage on a Tightrope. It was just the ladies this time. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation. And really, a lot of things that you um, taught us and brought up and tools and questions to ask ourselves, I think those are so important. Uh, You are going to be, I mean, you're almost life coach, right? Uh, I'm starting training next month. Okay. So if people want to talk to you or connect with you, what is the best way for them to do that? I'm also a mentor on the Marriage on a Tightrope page. And that has been, I think that's a great resource. So you can reach out to me on Facebook. Chris Peterson Rich is my name on there. And yeah, I'm happy to help anyone and and find hope. There's so much good and hope in all this. And I'm just, yeah, feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk to anyone. Well, I feel like story. Yeah. I feel like this has been such a positive, um, inspiring and full of light episode. And I really appreciate for everything that you prepared and you said, because I think that this will definitely help so many people out there that are listening and, um, and ask themselves that that question. What is the story you're telling yourself? So Chris, thanks for being on our episode. And we you're will so see you again next time. Thanks, Katie. When it's done, we're gonna see that it was better that we grew up together. Tell me you don't want to leave. Cause if change is what you need You can change right next to me When you're high, I'll take the lows You can ebb and I can flow We'll take it slow And grow as we go Grow as we go we go